All right, well, it's good to hear from Russell Wilson. Find out, is he real, right? Does he know Jesus? And uh, I love that. Matter of fact, if you watch all 14 minutes of this particular video, there are several different Seahawks players and some of the coaches that get up and say, hey, it's all about Jesus. Winning football games is great. It's exhilarating. But at the end of the day, it's not going to fill you. It's not going to really provide the purpose and the meaning that God meant for our lives. So we're in a series called All About Jesus. And uh, the very first thing that we want to understand and the very first thing that the writer of the, of the particular book or letter that we're looking at in 1 John is they, that the writer wants us to see that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that he is, he is our one true God, that Jesus is not just a God, Jesus isn't just a path, but he is the God. And he is the path. I love that about, about Jesus. And I love that about last week we talked, Pastor Nathan talked about that ladder and about how so many uh, religions around the world, so many of us try to climb to God. We try to achieve kind of righteousness or goodness or, or, or uh, moral correctness in order to reach God. And yet it all falls short without God coming to us. And that's what he did in the very person of Jesus Christ. Today we're going to pick up, though, in chapter 2 of the book of 1 John. And uh, it's not actually a book. It's considered more of a letter. The Bible's made up of 66 books or letters, and 1 John is one of them. John, he walked with Jesus. John was one of the disciples that was called. He became an apostle, a sent-out one later. But John spent time with Jesus. He saw him day in and day out for three years, performing miracles, healing people, feeding people, loving people. John, John was there when the very first communion happened during that, first, that last supper before the crucifixion of Christ. T- today, we're going to celebrate communion. John was there at the crucifixion when Jesus hung on the cross. And you'll remember when Jesus was hanging there and he looked at John and he, he asked him to care after care for his mother. You wouldn't do that for anybody that you didn't have a very special relationship with. And so John also was one of the first to make it to the tomb. You'll remember um, he outran his, 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 his uh, ministry partner, and he was one of the very first to see the risen Christ at the tomb. John had this passion and this heart that people, everybody, would know him like John knew Jesus. And so here he is. He's in Ephesus. He's writing this letter. He's writing it to a church that's relatively new, made up of a lot of first-generation Christians. And John, his heart is kind of bleeding for them because he knows he's older. He's probably 90 years old. He's going to pass away at some point. And he sees some problems in this church. And he's, he's, he's writing to them and he's caring about them. And he, he's wanting them to really know what it means to be a Christ follower, what it means to be a Christian. Grandpa Pastor John, 90 years old, writes to this younger church in Ephesus, which was at the time the capital of Asia Minor. And it was known for its pagan worship. There was this huge temple of Artemis or Diana in which people would come from all over and they would worship this pagan god. And it was there. As a matter of fact, that particular temple was so big and so well known, it was considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And so there were 
there were teachers that were coming out of these kind of false religions saying that they were now Christians and they were wanting to teach and lead and tell other people how to live their lives. And it was in this culture and in this context that John writes this particular letter. And he he wants people to get grounded in their faith and he wants people to recognize what a false teacher would look like and what a true teacher would look like. He wants people to look into their own heart to say, what does it mean to truly be a Christian? What does it mean to just profess that you're a Christian? In our world today, we have uh, over 2 billion people who say that they are Christians. But are 2 billion people actually Christians? Does it mean more to be a Christian than just believe the right stuff, ascribe to the right theology? You see, theology is very important. Matter of fact, it's one of the very first things that it probably would mean to be a Christian is to understand the right things about Jesus, that he's God, that he's God, and that he forgives sin, and that he's the way to understand and experience eternal life with God forever and ever. And that's this theological check. And matter of fact, John, in his very first chapter, he he unfolds that a bit to us. And he says, hey, you got to believe the right stuff about who Jesus actually is. We can't earn our way into a relationship with God. He's come to you. He's come to me. But he's God and he forgives sin and he opens up the door into an eternal relationship with our Heavenly Father. And we've got to be crystal clear on that. Do you believe that about Jesus Christ? Because that's where it starts to be a Christian. But that's not where it ends. Today in chapter 2, if you have a Bible, you can open it with me to 1 John chapter 2. And what we're going to see is that John expounds a little bit further on what it means to actually be a Christian. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours, but also for the whole world. That is good news. That is relieving to know I don't have to be perfect, to know that I I, I will make mistakes, to know that there's an advocate, there's one who defends me, there's one who loves me, there's one who covers me with his own blood, and that's Jesus Christ. He is the one who is the propitiation for our sins. He's the one that removes our sin from us as far as the east is from the west. That's Jesus Christ, the forgiver of sins. Jesus, who is God. See, there's only one who can forgive sins, and that's God. No man can forgive my sins because every person is a sinner. Only a sinless person, only God himself is able to forgive any of our sins. And that's who Jesus is. And that's what got him crucified is when he was being interrogated and they asked him, are you saying that you're God? And he said, it's as you say. And because of it, they shouted, crucify him. You see, that's why he went to the cross, because he's God and he forgives sin. But believing is one thing. Matter of fact, the writer of another uh, another letter, James, says this, you believe that there is one God, Good. In other words, good starting place. Even the demons believe and they shudder. In other words, it's great that you believe, but the whole universe of spiritual beings believe and know that Jesus 
is God. But believing needs to translate into a changed life for it to be real. Changed life, a changed way of thinking, a changed, changed attitudes of the heart, and a changed way of living life, if it's real. And that's what John's saying. He's stepping into this kind of mixed religious culture where now Christianity has become a part of it and people are getting confused and there's streams of various ideas and there's false teachers that are being uh, that are rising up and kind of self-proclaiming and in 1 John chapter 2 verse 3 he says this we know that we have come to know him just pause there we know you can know that you've come to know him you don't have to guess you don't have to hope you don't have to live in fear and wonder, will I one day make it to heaven? Do I have to be good enough? Do I have to do this? Do I have to do that? We can know that we know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anybody obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. See, the real proof of knowing Jesus translates into a changed way of living life, a new life, a new kind of attitude that's adopted. Once we know Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, once we know he is God, he's the forgiver of my sins, how should that change the way I live my life? That's what John's addressing. And it ought to change the way I live my life in that I now want to obey God. So let me ask you a question. Do you hate sin? Do you hate it? God hates sin. And if, if we belong to God, we will also hate sin. Let me give you an example. I used to be a chronic liar. I, I was a lot of things, but that was one of them. And I would lie to just cover my own butt. I would lie to make sales. I would lie to convince others I was right. I always wanted to be seen in a good light. And so um, I would often kind of turn and twist things a little bit in order for that to come out in my favor. Normally, I'm not talking about huge Mongol lies. Uh, normally not that. Normally a lot of little, little things. A lot of little things. And I looked at it as just good communication skills, you know? I could get people to do what I wanted them to do. I could get them to like me. I could make more money. It never really bothered me all that much. I kind of felt like when I lied, I was like Marshawn Lynch, you know, dodging tackles. And whenever, whenever I would break through the line and get my way and get away scot-free, I, I would just feel like, man, I won. It's a victory. Look at me bob and weave. You know, I, I saw it more like a, a strength than a, than a weakness. And when I became a Christian, though, Something changed. All of a sudden, I, I, I wasn't that happy anymore about lying. Matter of fact, I was disgusted with myself. And when I started a lie, I would get caught in those lies. I was losing skills. I didn't understand it because God was on me. And lying, lying was, was no longer something I saw as a virtue. Matter of fact, when I would read the Bible, it always would seem to land on passages like Proverbs 12, that said, the Lord hates liars, but is pleased with those who keep their word. And I would run across and I'd go, oh, man, yeah, Lord, take this away from me. I hate this about me. And, and I remember it didn't go away overnight. It took months 
months of thinking and praying about it and kind of being disgusted with it. And, and, and I remember I would keep falling into these little things, these little conversations, and it would come out so quick, and I would leave, and i go, oh, it wasn't fully 100% right. And I remember praying, and God said, I'll help you with that. I will heal you from that. I said, great. How? He said, next time you lie, you turn around and go tell the person you just lied to them. And I went, ooh, <laughs> yikes. He's like, I will heal you if you do that. And so it wasn't a few days later, I caught, I caught myself in that situation. I was walking away and I went, oh, I wasn't 100%. I remember the Lord saying that. And I turned back around and I, I said, yeah, I just lied to you. And man, you should have seen their eyes. It got real big. I was humiliated. You know, I was healed. It was amazing. <laughs> I'm serious. Like it just the confession of that and the, the, the humility of that, humiliation of that. All of that together was just, I don't want to do that again. That stunk, you know, and, and, and something changed. But you see, we begin to change when God is in our life. We, we, the things that we used to be content with, we're no longer content with those sins and compromises in our life. Do you hate sin? I'm not talking about hating other people's sin. Do you hate your sin? Is your heart seeking for ways to please your heavenly Father and obey Him? And when I say obey, I know for some of you go, oh, obedience. <laughs> Wait a minute. I don't know if I like that. Obedience is a word that trips a lot of people up. You know, obedience grades me wrong, actually, in, in the wrong way. If I don't know why the rules are, if I don't understand the person behind the obedience, I don't like obeying rules just to obey rules. I found out recently as I was helping with the financial peace class that both Tisa and I are what's called free spirits. I think that's good. I'm not sure. But we don't necessarily like rules, you know, when it comes to stuff. And I'm not talking about big, bad things that, you know, you're going to get in trouble for. Just little things. that I don't, I don't like them. Like when we go on vacation, we're real spontaneous. We don't even think about making, uh, half the time, we don't even think about making reservations before we get there. We just call, you know, an hour beforehand on our way over. And that would drive some of you insane, you know, if we did that. But that's just kind of how, how we roll. And, you know, when we're driving over, I might, you know, go two or three miles over the speed limit. I don't want a ticket or anything. I just, you guys are making me feel really awkward right now, the way you're looking at me. It was like I was at the post office during Christmas time, and I went in, you know, to be one of the first ones. It was a busy time. They had the big maze set up where you had to wait in line. I wanted to bypass all that. I showed up. Nobody was in there except for the attendant. And so I, I walked in. I bypassed the maze. I went right to the front, and I stood there, and he's like, you didn't go through the line. And I'm like, well, there is no. He's like, no, that's the correct way. He was really offended. I didn't obey the rules. And he's like, go back through and wait for me to invite you up. And so I went back through the maze, you know, little Disneyland maze, get to the front. And then he's like, okay, come forward. <laughs> you got to be kidding. I don't like rules like that. I don't like meaningless, stupid rules and regulations and bureaucracy. And, and behind them is like no real logic, you know. God, though, has a logic. And God is actually very good. God loves us. He's like that perfect parent that none of us ever really had. He's perfect in every way. And he, 
maybe some of you moms or dads, if you're training your two, three-year-old, and you, you want them to not cross a busy street all by themselves, but to make sure and hold your hand, and you say, you must obey me in this. Why would you do that? You're so mean. Why? You do it because you want them to live to their fourth birthday, right? You do it because you love them. You care about them. You see things they don't see. You know things they don't know. And they may look at it like some silly rule, but the truth of the matter is you're doing it because you love them. And when God asks us to obey him, it's because he loves us and he knows things we don't know. And some of, some of it I can understand as I study and some of it, quite frankly, I don't always understand but I understand the one behind it and I trust him and I love him and I want to please him. You see, the heart of a Christian is just that. Even when you don't understand it, your heart is, I will obey. I will love my father in heaven. He's perfect. He loves me. And We won't just live life any way we choose. Verse four says, the man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in him. I mean, that's strong language. Liar! I mean, John is this peace-minded, loving old grandpa. It's like kind of getting in the face of, of those who are claiming to be Christians. And he's saying, if you're a Christian, if you're a Christ follower, you will not just glibly disobey and make a practice of sinning and not care and befriend your sins and minimize it and compromise and and just think that I'm good, I know God. He's saying, no, you do not, you're a liar. I'm just saying what it says, okay? For a belief and a conversion to be real, it will show up in how we live our lives. It will show up in a changed heart. It will change the way we look at life. Once I know Jesus is the one true God, I will grow in this desire to obey God, love him back. Second thing John writes in chapter 2 in his letter is, once that I become a follower of Christ, I believe he is the one true God. And I say now that I am a Christ follower, then my life will change in that I will start to love other people in a way that I did not previously. I will begin to love others and not the values of this world. Anyone, it says in verse 9, who claims to be in the light, but hates his brother, is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light, and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. See, Christians cannot, will not, live their lives with hate in their hearts. Cannot happen. It says, if you do, you're living in darkness. You're not living in light. We cannot harbor hatred, especially towards fellow Christians. And you know who will hurt you the most in this life? Christians. You know why? Because our expectations are way higher, way higher. And so when you get let down, you get let down a lot further. It's that Christian spouse that cheats on you. It's that Christian business partner who doesn't keep their word. It's that child or that friend or that pastor that disappoints you, hurts you, and lets you down in some deep way. Hate is not just the absence of love. It's also the secret desire that something bad happened to them. You know you have it when you're around the person and you, you feel the bitterness kind of rising in your heart and anger resurrects. 
resurrects and, and hate is crouching at the door. So may I ask you, who do you hate? Who do you hate? Verse 11 says, whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded him. Hate blinds you. Hate darkens your heart. It makes it where you stumble. You don't know the right way to go and you will be led astray. Loving your brother does not mean that you won't get hurt. Loving doesn't mean you won't be disappointed and let down. It doesn't mean that they won't annoy the fire out of you. Because some people annoy the fire out of me. Even some in my own family at times. And living without hate doesn't mean you trust people when they violated your trust. A Christian loves others and especially their fellow brothers and sisters in the faith. Loving others. Yes, even people who are different than you, who think different, look different, have different skin color, come from different culture, who have a different sexual orientation. Christians love people because they are made in the image of God and because God loved us first. So now we love others because God forgave me such great level, at a, such a great and deep level in my own life. It's my It's my desire, my responsibility to love others now and to forgive. Does it mean that's easy? No. But that's what he's called us to do as Christ's followers. But not to love the world. In verse 15, it says, John said, Do do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and has done comes not from the Father, but from this world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. The world in this context is not talking about the planet. He's talking about these me-centered values that the world espouses. We see it coming out of Hollywood. We see it on our TVs. We see it through the Internet. We see it. We read it. We take it in. It's in our culture. Life's about me. And that what I see, if I want it and I lust after it, then it's mine. I ought to go get it. And so people end up in bondages and in, in, in addictions and in all kinds of problems because of this. The world just leaves that part out. And we struggle and we self-posture, looking to always come across as important and educated and accomplished and wanting others to respect us and like us and lift us up. And, and he's saying, don't love this world. It's passing away. Love God and love other people. That's what it means to be a Christ follower. And then the last thing he says is this. I, I, once you know Christ, once you have the right theology, the right beliefs, you've embraced him, you say, he's, he's my God and he's the one I look to for forgiveness of sin and He's the pathway into a relationship with my Father eternally. Then what? Abide. Abide in His Word. Abide in the truth and the light of His Word. 1 John 2, verse 24 says, See that you have heard, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. See to it that what you've heard, what you've experienced in Jesus stays in you, remains in you. You remain in Him. And if it does, you will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what He promised us, even eternal life. There's this principle of abiding in Christ. 
living in his presence. We talked about that during one of the 90-day challenges, the reading challenge, about staying in his word and praying and spending time each, each day just learning to live and abide in him, to experience his life and to be taught by his word so that the way we think, the way we make decisions, the values and affections of our heart begin to change because we're spending time with God. And he's saying, that's mission critical, soaking in his word. And I want to encourage you, if you took that challenge, that reading challenge, don't give up. Don't give up. Even if, even if you've fallen way behind, don't worry about it. Just start today and just make it your habit to spend time with him and abide in his presence. Verse 26, he says, I'm writing these things to you, to you, about those who are trying to lead you astray. In other words, be careful. There are people in this world. There are people in this world. There are people who have big voices, who have international or national followings on television or other things and books. And he's saying there are people in this world and in the church at times that will try and lead you astray. He's saying you need to be careful. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you. In other words, the Holy Spirit, if, if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit has, has given you his very presence. He resides in you. In the Old Testament, they used to anoint various articles in the temple with oil, and they would smear those articles that they wanted to consecrate, dedicate, and set apart for special use. They would smear it with oil, and that was called anointing. And today, the Holy Spirit is who anoints us. His presence, the Spirit, is often kind of analogous to oil. And that when He comes into our life, there's an anointing that resides in every single believer. And He says, you've received this anointing. It's in you. You don't need anyone to teach you. But as His anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in Him. So empowering. What God wants you to know is you can hear from him. You don't have to have a prophet, a priest, a pastor, a rabbi, an imam. You don't need any of that in order to hear from God. You go to God in faith with his word and you listen and he will speak to you. He will teach you and he will help you discern good from evil and false teachers from real teachers. doesn't mean we don't need teaching. John himself is writing this letter to teach the church. But he's saying you don't have to become codependent upon that. You can hear from God on your own because there's an anointing in you. So once you know Jesus, it should change the way you live. For it to be real, if it's real, we will, our heart's desire will be to please our Heavenly Father. We will want to obey Him. We will not be content with hate in our hearts. We will love people especially those who are Christians. And we will abide in the truth and the light of his word. We will just learn to abide in his presence and allow him to keep teaching us, prompting us, speaking to us, helping us to grow. See, the real proof of knowing Jesus translates into a completely new way of living life, loving others, abiding in truth and obeying God. So we're going to have a communion now. And as we do, it's a time to remember what Jesus has done. It's a time to remember the cross and the great sacrifice that he died on that cross for you and me and that he is God. 
and that he paid the penalty of my sin and yours. And we remember that, and we just, we, we just soak in that. We're so thankful for that. We receive that. But I want to also ask if you would write a prayer down today in the bulletin. These are prayers that various ones have come and put up here in, in this cross. And if you'll look on the bottom of your bulletin, it says all about Jesus, and that tab is all about this prayer request right now. So you can rip that off. If you need a pen, ushers have pens and pencils for you if you would like to write this. But I want to invite you to write a prayer to God. Nobody will read it. It's for you. It's between you and him. And I want to invite all of us to get honest with God. That we would write out a prayer of repentance or a prayer of commitment that would say, Lord, I, I'm, I'm tired of just sinning and not caring about that. Lord, I want to hate sin and I want to change. Or maybe it has to do with just a, an understanding that he's a good God and that you want to understand the heart that goes behind a change of lifestyle. Or possibly it's, it's, it's that you have hate in your heart towards somebody and you know it. This is a day you can let go of that. You can forgive them and you can let them free from your grip. It isn't hurting them probably anyways. It's hurting you. You can let them go today. Or maybe it's just that hunger and desire to abide in the presence of God and or one of those 90-day challenges that you said you were going to do but you haven't even started it. And it's just... Lord, I want to take you serious. I want to come back to you today. Something you've been delaying in obedience to God. 1 Corinthians 11 says this, For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, talking about communion, every time you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That is why many of you are weak and sick and some have even died. But if we would examine ourselves, we would not be judged by God in this way. Yet when we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned along with the world. Communion is a time to examine our own heart and prepare our heart. And thank God that in 1 John 1, 9, he said, if, if we have sin, all we have to do is confess that to God. And he's faithful and just to forgive you all your sin and cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. There's hope, there's promise, there's healing, there's forgiveness. But we have to be honest. And we have to be willing to go to God and say, Lord, I need, I need you to work in my life. Change me. Take this away from me. I'm making a change of attitude and mind shift today. And then as you, as you do that, I mean, there's communion, communion stations on both sides and here at the front. And if you have a prayer that you wanted to kind of just place at the cross. And you can just come up here and just set it right in there. Nobody's going to read them, but it's just you saying, Lord, I'm giving this to you. 
and what you did on the cross means something to me. And then go and partake of communion. Lord God, we just pray right now and ask God, would you keep our hearts clean from bitterness so that our prayers are unhindered? Lord, would you cleanse us from sin and from compromise and help us, Lord, develop just this passion for holiness and a passion to obey you and love you because you love us and you know better. And Lord, I pray that you would place in us a desire to abide and remain in you and just live our lives out of your presence and not out of our own strength. Lord, we want to rid ourselves today, God, of anything that dishonors you. Lying, hatred, bitterness, harsh words or slander, any type of evil behavior, Lord. We just want to turn away from it right now. Not because it's how we earn our way to heaven, because you've already provided that, but it's because we love you. And you said, if we love you, we'll obey you. And that's our heart's desire today, God. Please bless this time. Speak to us, Holy Spirit. There's an anointing in each one of us. Hear your voice. Speak to us.